Right at the Fork is proud to present this episode of the Joy of Drinking podcast. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Joy of Drinking podcast. My name is Joy Church and I'm your host. This month we are in conversation with members of the Oregon Bartenders Guild. I invited them to be on the podcast because they've done an immense job of keeping the community together in the midst of COVID-19. Today we will hear from Douglas Derrick, the president, Mariah Tatham, and Micah Anderson. If you have suggestions, comments, please reach out to me. I want to hear from you. You can reach out to me at the Joy of Drinking podcast on Instagram and at jcplayswithfood at gmail.com. Listeners, I hope you enjoy, and thanks for being with me. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to be here today with members of the Oregon Bartenders Guild. I invited some members on because I have been incredibly impressed with the work that OBG has been doing, especially in the time of the pandemic. Um, it's really a light at the beginning of every week. Um, they've been doing these Monday Zoom calls and there's food and their presents and things that come hours before. And it's just been a real, real pleasure um, to, to you know, see this incredible community be so responsive uh, for so many of us that are, you know, really truly staying at home and it's, you know, it's a drag. <laughs> uh, so I'm so appreciative. And so I want to introduce Douglas Derrick. He is the president of the board, right, Douglas? President of the officers. Yes. President of the officers yeah. for OBG. And I wanted to ask Douglas, first of all, when did you take over that position? Um, is that pretty recent or have you been around for a long time? Uh, it's, it's been a little while. Um, well, first off, thank you, Joy. Great to be here. Um, we started this new um, chapter of officers um, unofficially in October of 2018. And officially we all signed up uh, with our national chapter of the United States Bartenders Guild of January 2019. So we're a, we're a solid year and a half in right now um, and we've got a good flow going. That is very impressive. So, you know, the first time I really attended, um, I think, you know, we all know Michelle Renee Cologne, she's a buddy of mine. And so she really said, come, you know, come with me as a guest. And then um, I went to one of the, on my own, to the PDX Ice event that you guys had. And it was so much fun. I was like- Snowball fights. <laughs> yeah, the snowball fights. Um, yeah, just, it, just incredible. I was like, I need to be a part of this. Where do I sign up? Uh, anyway, <laughs> but then in the face of COVID, you know, so many nonprofits, small organizations, um, food and beverage in particular, you know, they kind of fell off the planet for a while, right? They went silent, didn't really know how to alter what they had been up to. Um, and I've seen that happen. I've been, a, I'm a part of some groups that had that happen too. And, you know, you were seamless in just making a transition. So how did that come about, Douglas? Will you talk more about us, about how you did it? How quickly did it come, come up? Well, I'm glad that people feel that way about it. Uh, it wasn't as seamless on the inside for us, but you know, we are a mem we are we're a community, and so we saw the ability to build community and and bring people together, and we knew that it was more important than ever before. So we sat up uh, on our weekly phone calls and discussed ideas of how to pull people together. 
at the time there were some really many ideas of how best to take care of people one of them was like a pantry idea of getting people together to compile weeks worth of groceries to deliver to bartenders or get to restaurants that had dying food in their fridge and deliver it to people but you know safety was an issue and we weren't as educated on how best to handle all that um, and what we knew we could do was see our faces uh, on zoom calls at least and and have discussions about how people are handling this, what their restaurant went through, what they're going through. And the idea started of just at least having a weekly meeting where we could talk together. And it evolved quickly uh, where we realized that there were restaurants that were safely doing food delivery and that we could be a part of that. And so we partnered with our, our partners, whether they're a spirit rep or a beer or wine partner, supplier or distributor, and had them help with the cost of, of food. And that way we were able to deliver a meaningful meal to people. And, and then people would get together uh, on our Zoom calls. And the first 30 minutes was us just kind of bantering as a community and listening to each other and hearing stories. And then there was a little bit of time where the sponsor got to tell us the story of their brand. And we've had some really incredible ones actually. Um, and that's the reason that Micah Anderson's on this call is that we had a call with Westward Whiskey and, and Micah was the sponsor. And, so he's, you know, on on the community, but also on the brand side. And that call went almost two hours long where we could have just listened to Micah and, and the Chris Trank folks that of, of Westward talk for hours. So that's how it's evolved and came together quickly. We're on our 16th week, going to 16th week now. Uh, and we haven't really missed one. It's come together very well. Well, congratulations. And again, I'm so, I mean, 16 weeks and all of the coordination, you know, just the back end of any organization to coordinate anything is such a challenge, but then to organize the next event and then to organize, to get the food and everything out to everybody. I mean, wow, it's mind blowing to me. Um, so Mariah, you made over a thousand masks and you, you sent me a couple, um, in one of the care packages too, with one of the, um, one of the OBG meals. Um, so can you talk about that? How did you Mariah decide that you wanted to, first of all, I didn't even know that you could sew and clearly you really can. <laughs> um, but how did you end up deciding to do that? Um, I have been seeing on Instagram and Facebook of everyone needing masks and I have a sewing machine. I have a degree from UCLA in costume instruction and historical design. Um, and I always just have a machine sitting in the corner of my closet and unfortunately quarantine has given me a lot of free time. So it's like, let's make masks, let's do it. And then over time it just evolved into 500 masks, 600 masks. And the next thing you know, I'm at 1500 masks made. Um, and every mask made was donated to uh, bartenders or people in the industry or the restaurants. Uh, I think pretty much every liquor store in Oregon or in the Portland area is wearing my masks. So that's really cool. Um, and then I did end up mailing a lot of masks out to like California and Denver. I did end up mailing like 200 to New York, wow. which was amazing. Um, and then right in as the protest started in Portland, there is a studio that is screen printing um, for the protest. So I did about 200 ish masks for them or 300 or so. Um, and that's just wow. got a skill. You got to use it. <laughs> that is incredible. And so I am assuming maybe you never want to sew another mask. I mean, are you over it? <laughs> I definitely had a ceremony where I put away the machine. I put away the machine. I de-threaded my apartment because you know, when you're doing masks, especially in bulk like that, 
and you're cutting every single thread off all the corners so this place is just covered in thread like the poor cat is like part fur part thread at this point uh, but I think maybe in a month or so I'll be more excited to make masks again more on like a scale of five or ten at a time and not hundreds at a time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Mariah, you know, I always think of you, you're such a community engagement personality. And so this seems like that really fed into that. But it feels like you have really brought a lot of energy to OBG as well and like really reached out to a lot of people through this. Yeah, it's been really helpful. Um, I've always come from the industry I've been in the industry since I was 13 so it's always something of getting people involved and trying to like keep everyone there you know like the first thing I do when I like leave work I want to go say hi to my bartender friends I want to go see people and we're all connected so tightly as a community during quarantine if it's something as simple as wearing a mask that gets us all to stay connected and be friends let's do it I think that's incredible isn't it Douglas were you going to say something yeah Mariah has been, you know, such a joy to have on our uh, officers team because she came from another chapter and had experience of how they worked. And so as we were growing our chapter and figuring out how to do things best, she was such a key. Um, we struggled with coming up with a title for her position because she does so much. Um, but one of the other things is that, you know, weekly uh, compiling all the information for the Zoom calls is hard, but weekly getting the information out on social media, making a flyer and having all that stuff together is very difficult. And Mariah has been a huge key in making that happen. One of her titles is fancy flyer maker because she's really good at it too. <laughs> I only wish I could be a fancy flyer maker. I'm not skilled with that either. Oh my gosh, what can I do? <laughs> and so this week, uh, Micah was really special with Westward Whiskey. So that was really fun. And so, Micah, how did you get plugged in? Did Douglas come begging or did you say, hey, <laughs> we want to be a part of this? It was, I mean, I think it was kind of a mutual thing. Um, I mean, Douglas, I think, reached out to Christian um, Krogstad and, you know, Christian hit us up and I was like, yeah, like that, we definitely would want to do that. That's going to be super fun. Um, and so, you know, we made it happen very quickly. Uh, one of the good things about us is that we are right here, so it was really easy for us to kind of put things together. Um, and it was fun. Like Douglas said, man, that call was really, really cool. It was good to kind of see some familiar faces and, um, you know, essentially just hang out with, you know, people that I hadn't hung out with in a long time. Um, and it was a lot of fun. You know, we got, we had lunch and we, you know, we took a little tour of the distillery with Christian. He walked us around and we started talking history. And it, it was a really good time. And I mean, I, 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 it, that's, that's kind of the reason why we're doing this and why Douglas and those guys and, and started doing this because like that community is really important, right? And we've been sitting in our houses and our apartments for four months now, like haven't been able to go to a bar or a restaurant and haven't been able to hang out with each other, you know, haven't been able to see people. Like Mariah said, when you get off your shift and you go and have a drink at your friend's bar, like, it's not, it hasn't been a thing. So that was, it was really, really nice to be able to just kind of sit down and pour myself a drink and hang out with a lot of familiar faces and some faces that I didn't know and get to meet some people um, and just kind of talk shop and, you know, hear about what is going on in different areas with people. So it was, it was a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and, uh, oh, you know, I wanted to ask, so Michael, we'll start with you. So have you really been like sheltering in place kind of thing over this entire time? And have you been able to continue working or what has it looked like for you? 
Um, it's it's different. I I I really have been staying inside for the most part. I mean, I every now and again I will leave the house to go grocery shopping, or I'll go down and hang out on the patio rum club, kind of by myself or with like one other like coworker. Um, but not yeah, unless I really like have to get out of the house, I haven't really been leaving. Um, so yeah, I've been been doing everything that I can in here. As far as bar goes. We haven't done anything at Run Club at all. Um, we're gonna start getting things together hopefully this month, and we'll see what happens um, closer to August. But yeah, we've just really just been kind of all of us have just been kind of staying at home. Um, as far as Westward goes, we've been we've been doing a lot of initiatives. A lot of it having to do with Zoom. We did our Zoom webinars um, with our entire brand ambassador team. Uh, and those are available. You can actually go to our YouTube channel and check those out. There's a lot of like cocktail um, like tutorials that we did. We did a lot of home ingredient tutorials, talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. There was a panel that I did with um, Jordan Felix about just about whiskey, which is fun. So we've been doing stuff like that. Um, we've also been doing things like uh, putting together tasting kits and uh, doing and sending those out to people uh, and doing kind of like tastings, I guess you will, over Zoom. So like basically like uh, sending out like a group of like four or five to, to consumers um, and then just having them like get on a Zoom link and we sit down and we walk into the whiskey and talk about it. Um, so that has been really helpful. Uh, introduced a lot of folks to stuff that way. So yeah, that's that's really what work has looked like for us, and, and and now we're kind of getting into that next step about how we're going to start working with people as they begin to open uh, a little bit more. Um, we're still petitioning the state to let us do to go cocktails, um, so that we can again, so we can start working with different accounts and different places and being like, hey, like, what can we do to kind of get that moving? Um, and that's that's going to be like the next step. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah. Yeah, that's a lot, actually, isn't it? And then thinking about reopening, just the thought of it, and how do you do that safely and wisely, and and all you know, and penciling it out, right? What actually makes sense? You know, if you need to do social distancing, like in your bar, how many people can you really fit? Can you get them on the street or in the parking lot? All of that that application with Peabot is huge too. I mean, it's an easy application, but just the thought of doing it right. You know, it's such a big thing to think about. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling. And I've been the same way. I um, have really been staying at home. And, um, you know, within the midst of the pandemic, I've had a lot of crazy life stuff happening. So I'm glad that I haven't had to go into an office. But, you know, just we're starting to think about how we would reopen our office, too. And probably, you know, our office is pretty small. So we would not be able to all be there at the same time. So how do we do staggered shifts and... You know, it's just a lot to think about. Um, and now, Douglas, what about you? Have you been able to, I mean, how different is your work, is your life with pan the pandemic? Well, I'm um, fortunately still employed through Campari, um, and uh, I have a good amount of time to fill on computer work. I've had to redo many things many times as, as everything changes every week here. Um, the company has uh, a policy of, no work outside the house uh, as of right now through Labor Day. So I work from home um, and the Oregon Bartenders Guild has been a huge uh, source for me to be able to put my, my time and my attention. And that's how we've been able to make this happen is, you know, we utilize uh, our free time to make plans and make things happen together. 
Um, I have been out of the house a little bit uh, recently, and it's very strange. It brings up um, a lot of difficult discussions with the people that you're quarantined with. Like, if I go out and I were to go have drinks on a patio at a bar, whatever liability I put myself in there is the same that my roommate is in as well, my partner. And so it's, it's a very difficult question. I commend Campari for saying that we work from home because it's very easy to go out and feel, think you're normal, but it's not. And, uh, and so, you know, at home, at the grocery store, I have uh, done a little bit of fishing outdoors when I can, but uh, it, even that sometimes doesn't feel right. Yeah, it's a big adjustment, isn't it? I had to go to a doctor's appointment and I haven't really driven. And I was like, how do I drive? I mean, it felt so weird. And I've been driving for so long, but I was like, how do I use the stick? Like, I, it's like, I don't know that I should be driving right now. <laughs> well, parking is so easy nowadays. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, getting around is like, it takes a minute to get through the entire city. It's amazing. You can actually drive 65, right? <laughs> So Mariah, what about you? What has, uh, what's the pandemic changed in your working world? I mean, obviously you've been very busy, but in terms of your, your real bartending work. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely been different. Um, I'm the kind of person that's always had two or three jobs at a time where I'll go open a brunch shift, I'll go work a dinner shift, and then I'll work a cocktail shift. So even when moving from California to Portland, I took Lemuel, amazing job, I love it, but the hours are small, the shifts are easy, it's just like, I, I already put that into small blocks, so found myself a lot of free time with Oregon Bargill, which was amazing, but in quarantine, right now, unfortunately, there's just no work, I mean, at the very beginning of quarantine, definitely, like, looked into grocery jobs, thought about applying at Amazon, um, it's just, it's, it's hard and difficult, especially while running a nonprofit that Babes Behind the Bar, our focus is going to restaurants and supporting being there and supporting those bartenders physically. So trying to find ways to pivot, um, your company, um, trying to find ways just to kind of stay relevant and keep the community together and going. The Bar Guild has been awesome and busy with that. I mean, I've been editing our website, which has been great and doing our weekly Zooms, which is amazing. Um, Again, with Babes Behind the Bar, we're just doing whatever we can between LA and here to stay relevant and keep the communities going. But other than that, I mean, just been playing video games and making masks. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun until you're in the like uh, 16 weeks of it. It's like, okay, ready to be done. <laughs> and there's no end in sight, not really. So Mariah, in terms of Lemuel, um, has there been talk about what the shape of reopening might look like or when that might happen or, or can you share am i i don't i'm not asking for top secret things but <laughs> maybe i am and i didn't know it um <laughs> i put you on the spot <laughs> we're gonna have to cut that part out uh we heard um in the very beginning when we stopped doing to go that we were going to shut down and then i'll come back to work from there we um haven't heard anything yet but i'm Definitely fingers crossed that we'll be opening. Um, I mean, being a chef's table group as well as our management is working super busy on doing wine programs as well as uh, the other place that we're affiliated being Scotch Lodge and St. Jack. Uh, fingers are crossed. I mean, it's a very delicate time right now with bars trying to stay open and places closing. So it's just fingers crossed. It's a lot, isn't it? Um, 
you know, in my work life, I work for a nonprofit that works with business district associations on behalf of the city. And so that's 23,000 biz small businesses. Um, and 70, 80% of them have five employees and under. Um, so trying to keep them alive is more than a full-time job. Um, but you know, it's a, it's the long-term thinking, right? Because I mean, I love this city, but you know, we don't have a space needle. We don't have a golden gate bridge. We have our businesses and these, you know, food and beverage make up such a huge, huge part of the culture here and the flavor of the, our community. Um, you know, and I know through my work that, you know, we literally have Live Nation and Walmart and Target waiting in the wings for those businesses to close down and to take them over. So, you know, our city could look very different even in the next 18 months if we don't protect the small businesses, you know, every time you can think of, you know, like, okay, I've got 10 bucks, I'm going to get takeout, curbside, whatever it is, you know, it's just so important to do everything we can. So that's my little plug about like, please, you know, let's not have two, you know, because we're going to continue, there's no way to not have this, some of this happen. But, um, you know, because these places, well, they just won't stay boarded up until they reopen, they will be gone, right? Because they're being offered big sums, some of these blocks are being offered big sums of money by big corporations. It's very hard to resist when you're out of work, right? You have no way to make any income. So it's hard to resist when your money is being thrown at you. Anyway, that's sort of my two cents on that. Um, <laughs> but I also, of course, really, you know, we're in June and it's Pride Month and that's, you know, such a reshape too. Um, and then, you know, we really, really have a life altering um, that should have altered 400 years ago, but with the movement of Black Lives Matter. Um, and so I wanted to uh, ask Douglas a little bit about what the OBG, uh, the statement that you put out. And I think it was a really um, strong statement that you did. I'm sure you worked very diligently to be very thoughtful about that and kind of what the future looks like in trying to, um, you know, make sure that we're representing uh, our black community in food and beverage. Douglas. Well, I'm glad to hear that you were compelled by it because we did work really hard on that. Um, and we're, you know, full of board of directors and officers, a group of nine right now. And um, there was a lot of discussions to make sure that, that what we said was impactful, but we also realized that what we said was only our first step. Um, and we at first started with conversations with our membership on these Zoom calls and, and brought it up and heard from our membership, but realized that our, our reach is far bigger than our membership and our, uh, our, our voice is heard large. And we wanted to put out something proud on social media to stand with uh, this movement and to stand against um, the police brutality and, and the deaths that have happened and the horror that is causing our country to be in such turmoil. So we worked hard on writing that and put it out, but we've also made a firm stance that every week we're gonna make a move, uh, one step forward to actually make a difference. Um, we have, this week we just finished our diversity and equality statement, um, which will be up shortly. Um, and we're working every week now to end our officer's call with a step forward because like I said, the statement's just just one thing and to say it is is only only one small step for us right um micah mariah either of you want to chime in i mean i just i just wanted to say you know like i, I appreciate what uh what those guys are doing with uh with with their movement and with their statement um i, I do believe that they're they're going about it the right way 
Uh, you see a lot of folks right here right now that are kind of, you know, throwing out flipping statements or whatever and, and not really doing the work internally to make to make some changes. And I know that that's something that, um, that both Douglas and all of the officers are committed to doing. Um, and I also, I also understand that they're committed to, to, to doing that work, not only within the guild itself, but also within the Portland Bar community, um, which I think is very important. You know, we've got to, we've just got to start bringing things along, right? We've got to start being more inclusive and more diverse uh, and understanding, uh, you know, where the shortcomings are uh, place to place. And, and everybody's going to have to do that. Uh, on their own, within their own bars and within their own restaurants, but I think that um, the Bar Guild can be a huge resource for people uh, to be able to do those sorts of things. And, and, and I think that's something that they're building towards, and, and I look forward to seeing it kind of come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I want to talk about what you, the three of you, see as the future of bartending. Uh <laughs> Right. You know, because some people are, uh, you know, Diane Lamb, who was at Revelry, which sadly has decided to close permanently. Um, you know, she's going to go on to do her Sunshine Noodle pop up more regularly at um, Psychic in North Portland. Um, but, you know, she in a, I think with Portland Monthly or maybe with Eater PDX, you know, she talked about how she really you know, I thought it was interesting. She said something about, you know, she never really felt that comfortable with the restaurant concept anyway. Um, so I thought that was a very interesting take. And then um, she wasn't asked to explain any, any more about that, but I'm going to reach out to her because I want to know what she's talking about. Um, but I mean, Mariah, what are you thinking? I mean, do you see things or are you hoping that things will return to normal um, pre-COVID or what do you think the reality is? Or what would you like to see? It's definitely a really hard question to answer because before places were opening, you had this idea of, yes, the 50% capacity, there would be no lines at the bar. You definitely had this expectation of everything changing. But with things reopening, um, unfortunately, they're not being done at that, at that level. You're seeing plexiglass walls with open pitchers where you order your drinks. You're seeing a lot of errors and mistakes at a lot of restaurants and bars that are currently reopening, which I think in the long run is going to be really hard for places to reopen because, you know, you're doing it wrong. We can't reopen this way. So I, uh, there's no safe way to reopen a restaurant or a bar. I mean, we touch everything with our hands. We touch a garnish peel. We grab a water pitcher. We grab a glass. It's, we're not always washing our hands. Like, yes, we're sanitary. We wash our hands every time we grab a glass, but when you're busy, it's just, it's something that is mindless when you're making cocktails and serving food. Um, I, as much as I would love for it to be the same and have lines of people at a bar and love to keep serving things. But unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be the way. I think we need to focus on getting cocktails to go. I think that'll be revolutionary for the cocktail industry. I think that will make a lot of what we do easier. Um, other than that, it's just, it's going to be hard. It's Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very different. And I think that, you know, it's taken people and some people still aren't there yet here yet, but in my mind, you know, it's things are not going to be there will be there will be some kind of new normal eventually, but that isn't this summer, this fall, this winter. We have a lot of changes over years to go um, because we don't just have this reopening, but then we have the recovery after the reopening, and that's going to take some time. So things are going to look different for 
forever. Um, but we can help to make those changes and well, what, what could it look like? But I found it interesting in my work anyway, and the, with the boards that I'm on that um, where I volunteer, it's been really hard for people to, people that I would normally think of as being really creative, like, oh, they're a creative. Oh no, they're paralyzed, right? Like, because there's no playbook. You can't Google this, right? It's like you have to th really think only on your own and in group discussions about what things could look like down the road. You know, you're, you're not able to just like ask somebody else how they used to do something because we just haven't been here before. Um, so I found that to be pretty fascinating. I would love to say that I think the idea of like, what do we call it? The sushi train? Like if there were a bar, there was like a cocktail train and you know, then the, then the customer's just picking it up. Mike is laughing. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, I think it could be kind of interesting and it avoids some of this, right? That it's this quick speedy thing and then people are picking it up themselves. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, like Mariah said, and like you said, it's, it's something that we're going to be figuring out for a very long time. Uh, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of trial and error. Um, and the bad part about that is, is that we, like, the people in the hospitality industry are kind of the guinea pigs right now. Um, and that's the scary thing is that there's, you know, it's basically a big science, science experiment. And it's like, all right, let's see what happens to, like, servers and bartenders. Oh, they're getting sick. All right, we got to close stuff back down again. And it's like, well, okay. Um, I, I do think that um, things that are going to change coming out of this fairly quickly are going to be how we pay hospitality people um, and how we think about that, uh, how we ensure people that work in the hospitality industry. Um, I think those are two things that are, you know, definitely going to have to change, right? How our business models are structured, right? Because so many of these places, so, like, there are so many places, and unfortunately, I hate to say it, we, we just begun to see the beginning of places closing permanently, but all of us, like, you know, the three of us all here work in restaurants and we've all done management in some way. We've all looked at the P&L, right, at some point in, in, our, in our lives, right? Like, six months of, like, no business or a quarter business means you don't have a place. Like, that's just, those are the margins that restaurants and bars run on. So, again, like, restructuring your business model so that if something like this happens or if something goes down, like, you might actually survive it is going to be uh, uh, something that's going to have to happen for people. Um, you know, I as far as service goes, yo, like, I if anyone has a clue what that's going to look like or how to do that safely, you know, let me know because I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody right now understands a way to do that and keep everybody safe at this point. So. Yeah, I think it's right unless you already have a lot of property outside. Let's say if you're lucky enough to have a big deck or something, um, there's no way to safely space everybody out and you know and and make any money doing it. I mean, if you can only have six tables and they only turn three times a night, well, that's pointless, right? That doesn't make any sense. You can't even afford to buy any inventory, much less staff, right? So, 
Um, you know, it's a big thing to consider. How do you do it safely? Um, and you know, what does the future look like? I think it's it's just going to be a big challenge. And right, since we're so you know, I think because we're on the West Coast, we've, we're seeing some of these guinea pigs from other states, right? Who have started this reopening, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, we shouldn't have done that." I mean, when you see like florida right and people were like in the pool or whatever over the weekend and they're all tightly crammed and they're drinking drinks and i was like oh my god what are you thinking right i mean that's unfathomable to me that you'd say okay well i mean just because you've decided that you're sick of it doesn't mean it's over so that just blows me away you know um i i just i don't know but anyway i do think my cocktail train sushi what's is that what it's called the sushi train is that what it's called I think that's the name for it. I'm not sure, but I know exactly, like, that That might be it. I mean, who knows? You know, you, you make the drink, you put it on, it goes yeah. around, like... Right, if, well, if, if it's got a boost... Uh, Henry's Tavern in the airport, the tray there is a frozen ice tray, so if that could somehow be frozen and your cocktail was really cold when it got to you still, even if it sat there for a couple minutes, it's a good idea. See, and you could do... You know how with at the sushi restaurants that do this... The rim, you know, so if it's a blue rim on the plate, it's $2. If it's an orange rim, it's $5. You could do that if the straw is blue, it's, you know, how it's nine bucks. If the straw is red, it's 14 bucks. I think we're on to something here, people. <laughs> you know, I mean, anyway, I would go to that. It could be fun. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think we've, you know, covered a lot of ground here. I so appreciate you being here. And I want to see if others... If you've got some last things you would like to share before we head out for the day, Douglas, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to reiterate some points there that, that to-go cocktails are really essential for us. We've been pushing hard on the in any avenue that we can to get this uh, legalized for us, and we're very willing. And under, we understand that Oregon has some of the lowest underage drinking and some of the lowest DUIs in the in the country, and we want to protect that. We're not trying to do this like flippantly we will go with very strict rules but it's still very essential to these bars to be able to have a lifeline and keep things moving so that's one thing i wanted to reiterate it's very important and um, we're willing to work with any way to make it happen and you but know i just want to mention too um douglas so in in my work um i've met with uh, rehana she's from the office of the governor brown about the to-go cocktails and really we've talked through the, the budget of what that actually means to save food and beverage. Um, so anyway, we could talk about that offline later about maybe, maybe she could be with us at a OBG call or something too, to talk through That'd that. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Please continue. Yeah, no. And I think that, you know, Micah mentioned the pay structure for restaurant industry and it's been off kilter for a very long time. And this is a really good time to relook at that. Um, I think that, you know, the hospitality industry is at a very high risk in this, in this situation. And, uh, the con minimizing contact points is the best you can do. I think that there's not really a way to avoid contact points, but I think that thinking about every single contact point and how to minimize it is very important for a business moving forward. Um, I think that we can do checks without credit cards. I think we can do signing without pens. I think we can do many things without those contact points. And those are what bars are going to have to look at. But, uh, you know, employees have a really horrible decision as to whether they feel comfortable going back to their employer or not. I think that the employee needs to be very much so protected and allowed to be able to say, I'm not comfortable going back to work in this situation that you're offering me. 
uh, and still be protected. So that's something that we're definitely working on. But, uh, you know, bars like Rum Club, Micah uh, creates this vibe and this feeling and this, uh, and this energy that's inside Rum Club that is going to be a far ways away from really happening again because that's a small bar and, and you can go into that bar when it's empty and it's not the same as when it's full. And so I just really feel for those type of bars that don't have that patio and really cannot wait to the day that we get a vaccine and we can comfortably go and, and be in that situation again uh, where we get to give each other hugs and cheers our drinks and, you know, high fives and, and all the good things that for so many years we took advantage of. And so now, that you know, we get to appreciate. I think that we've humbled ourselves a little bit out of this and I'll take that humility and, and be happy that, we appreciate more, um, but it's definitely going to be a different world. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Douglas. Mariah, would you like to say any last words? I do, actually. On top of everything that's going to happen culturally at bars, another thing that we haven't touched on is how concepts are going to change. I mean, a lot of the creativity and amazing bar programs rely on a heavy inventory. They rely on heavy prep. They rely on a lot of hands-on hours and things on that unfortunately like people are going to go to a bar and it's to the point now where it's just give me the quickest and the fastest easiest thing a lot of that creativity is just it's going to have to stop you know i mean you can't open you can't reopen a cocktail bar with a cocktail that takes 14 minutes to get to a table when the world is kind of where it's at so it's just kind of going to be interesting to see how the concept sort of change especially at cost i mean people are going to want to keep their costs as low as possible so they're still making some sort of revenue um and a lot of where we get our joy and fun as bartenders is in those high-priced cost cocktails, which balance out by volume. So it's going to be definitely interesting to see how programs and restaurants and bars go back to the bare minimum and the basics before we have been given all this freedom to be as creative as we have been. Yeah, that's going to be a big change. Absolutely. Thanks, Mariah. And Micah, any parting words from you? Um, I mean, those... Those guys hit on kind of everything that I was going to say uh, as far as, like, all that stuff. Like, yeah, uh, so just kind of moving forward, taking it day by day. We'll see what happens, right? And, and I think the, the good thing about hospitality people is that um, a lot of us in this industry are here because we are creative. We're here because, you know, like, we like taking on challenges. And so you do have a large group of people who are like, all right, like, let's figure this out. Um, and I do see a lot of that. Yes, people are probably not doing things right, but there's a lot of people that are like, all right, so we can't do that, so let's try this. All right, well, that didn't work, let's try this. And so that is hopeful moving forward. Right, yeah. I feel very hopeful um, for all of the creative energy that people in food and drink have. Um, and so it's just trying to make those adjustments and yeah, you know, making mistakes too. Like not everything's going to work. I mean, this in some ways, you know, for most industries is a chance to kind of make some big mistakes because, Hey, you can get, you can say, well, it was a pandemic. I had to try it. <laughs> right. So if you ever had some kind of like really left field ideas, now it may be the time to try them, <laughs> I guess. Anyway. So thank you to the Oregon bar guild for taking the time out today to be with the joy of drinking podcast it really means a lot to me and listeners as i said 
Um, the Oregon Bartenders Guild has done an incredible job, um, and particularly in the pandemic, it's just been amazingly impressive. So go to their Instagram page, um, really check them out and um, see how you can participate because it's an incredible organization and it's really kind of a light to look forward to the next Zoom meeting to seeing everybody. And I'm usually pretty quiet in those meetings because I'm just enamored by everyone on the screen, um, but it really is a very special place. So thanks to all of you for making that happen. And thanks listeners for being with us this month and uh, we'll see you, see you. Well, we'll be with you again in July, at the end of July um, with special guests in July and I can't reveal who those are gonna be yet. Um, but anyway, listeners, take care of yourselves, hug your cats um, and, and keep yourself sane and have a drink on us, right? <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody. Thank you, Joy. The Joy of Drinking podcast is produced by Joy Church, executive produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson in association with Right at the Fork.